1: What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride with another Behind Enemy Lines podcast. I'll be honest, I think myself and a lot of people didn't expect the Raiders to be in this position, but they've got a huge, essentially winner-take-all game against the Los Angeles Chargers. So I brought my friend Michael Peterson from the Blue back on to preview this huge matchup. Michael, thanks for coming back, man. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good, man. I'm I'm stoked out of my mind, uh, as I think everyone else is, right, uh, stressed out. For, again, <laughs> the same reasons that everyone else probably is. But uh, this is an exciting game, and you can't really write it up any better than this. Prime time, under the lights, for all the marbles, definitely. you know, at this point,
1: it's going to be awesome. Definitely, definitely. Real quick before we get started, go ahead and tell the people where they can find you and keep tabs on the enemy this offseason.
0: <laughs> yeah, so on Twitter, you can find me at ZoneTracks. That's spelled Z-O-N-E-T-R-A-C-K-S. Um, all my work is over at boltsfromtheblue.com. That's SB Nation's Charters community. Um, you know, if, if you are into, I guess, checking out work from, <laughs> from the enemy, especially like a divisional rival, um, that is where you can find me. But completely understand that, you know, people aren't going to be running and, and chasing to go follow me on Twitter to just hear more Charters stuff. <laughs> if you would like keeping that whole well-rounded, you like keeping track of everything else going on in the AFC West, um, that's a good place to start.
1: Definitely. I mean, we got the uh, we got the draft coming up, got the free agency coming up, so I'm sure you guys will have some content that's a little more evergreen, probably that we're not going to be doing over at Silver and Black Pride. So definitely make sure you give Michael a follow. Go check them out. And before we get into the game, I mentioned that this was essentially a winner-take-all game, but there is a small chance that if the Jaguars can beat the Colts, both the Raiders can make the playoffs if they just tie. So, in that scenario, would you became would you be okay with each team going out and just trading knees for for sixty minutes, uh, so they can make the playoffs? Or are you a vindictive person and want to punish the Raiders?
0: You know what? I would actually be just fine with the teams having some form <laughs> of agreement and kneeing it out. I think it'd be really cool to see. I think some people would absolutely hate it. It'd be a lot of the old heads absolutely. just you know uh, just wishing all these players would get smited on the spot, right? Like why would you yeah. do this to the, to this game we love so much? And I'm like, no, this is, this is the current NFL. Like it's a business decision to a degree, like the same way that, uh, you know, some college athletes get bowl games or they just do like what's best for them. <laughs> like they yeah. just, it's Occam's razor, just cut straight to the point. And like, we don't need to, you know, hold on to all these traditions and, and things, right. This is such a rare occurrence too. Right. So if they do it, it's not like a, they're changing football, you know, like the no. game's ruined. Now it's just going to go in a completely different direction. No, this is a very rare occurrence. And if both teams were just like, why not? And actually agreed to it, which I don't think will happen, but I just I think it would be crazy sure. to see.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I definitely don't think it happened. I think it would be awesome, too, just from like the, the Raiders perspective. They've always had this uh, vindictive or this this issue with the NFL what better way to stick it to the NFL than to have a, a huge matchup like this a huge primetime matchup and then just go out and take a knee. So no, exactly. Let's just it. stick it to the NFL. The
0: no fun league, <laughs> the, the year in and year out this, the NFL essentially keeps, I don't know, beating themselves in like, Oh, it can't get anywhere. Oh, yeah. the NFL can't be this dumb or can't be this like, you know, against fun and like things that people actually want to see. So if we could yeah. stick it to the NFL with a, a 60 minutes of name, the football, I think that'd be
1: fantastic. Awesome. Well, on a more serious note, the Chargers are kind of, a, kind of a wild team to me. For example, a few weeks ago, they felt like they were rolling, having won four in a row, including a impressive win over the Bengals, who are now one of the better teams in the conference, and they took the Chiefs to overtime. Then they go out and lose to the Texans, and it's kind of been a season like that for the Bolts all year. So are they just one of those teams that you never know what you're going to get from them, or what's going on over there?
0: Yeah, so you kind of, I mean, Nailed it. This has been an up and down team to, I think, like the purest degree, right? Like it's just a roller coaster all season. And, you know, I, I think while they're battling their opponents each and every week, I think a lot of the players who have been here for some time are fighting the culture shock. I think they're fighting the new mindset that this uh, new coaching staff wants to give to these players and, and you know, endow them with. And you know, it's a mental game, right? Like th- this was a team that for years under Anthony Lane, and although, you know, his first two years were fine, nine and seven and then the 12 and four, right. But then it came all crashing down and, and it became like the cesspool that it was before he got fired. You know, they didn't know how to win those last two years. They didn't know how to close out close games. They just didn't have like a killer mentality, a, a hunter-be-hunter type, uh, you know, mindset. And so I think this year, they've shown that they can put it together. They've shown just how good they can look, how good they really are when those things click. But like to begin the season, there was a lot of talk from Brandon Staley that like they're still figuring out the defense. Like that's what players said as well. It took them a while to, to get this system. And I, and I do think the system's phenomenal, but I also think it's not, you know, um, an elementary defense, right? Yes, it's the NFL, but even for NFL standards, I think this defense is just a whole lot of communicating. And if you don't have good communicators on defense, things are going to click. And then you're going to have these bad games. Now, they kind of seem to to get things, you know, figured out for the middle of the season. And then all of a sudden, it was the win, one, lose, one, win, one, lose, one, right? And then, you know, they win two in a row, and then they get the Chiefs. And they didn't have Rashawn Slater in that game. I don't think they had Austin Eckler either, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he was out with a small hamstring injury or something like that. But they barely lost. And oh, it was also the game that that Derwin James didn't play for like most of the game as well. And so gotcha. there was just this huge deal that caused them to maybe not win that game. Whatever, it was still close. And then the Texans, like, what the heck happened against the Texans? I understand both teams are um, obliterated by COVID, but the Texans, at a, as a healthy team, you would think the Chargers back us would be able to handle it. <laughs> but the Texans missing as many players, and the Chargers missing less players. Again, the Chargers should have beat this team. And I cannot tell you how bad and how painful it was to watch guys like Kenneth Murray try to play edge for the first time in his life, essentially in the NFL, yeah. like for a notable amount of snaps. Um, a lot of the backups, a lot of the defensive backs, especially in the secondary, guys like Devontae Harris, Asang Bassey. I mean, a lot of guys who should not see an NFL field anytime soon were forced to like star and or play notable gotcha. snaps. And that it just – it made Davis Mills look like an all-pro. And I, I'll <laughs> tell you what, Davis Mills has looked better recently. But that game shouldn't have happened. This is a long story about how the Chargers just have been a an and down oh, team. It's been incredibly frustrating. And because of everything they've shown that they can or cannot do over the course of the year, is why this game looks very scary. Because you saw what the Chargers did against the Raiders in the first game of the year. But that means nothing. Because you just never know exactly which Chargers team is going to take the field each Sunday. So no matter what, like, it's hard to feel comfortable at all for this Sunday.
1: So from the sounds of it, it kind of seems like it's more on the defensive side of the ball that the inconsistency has. Is that kind of been the case where it's, it's the defense shows up, but the, or the offense is going to show up every week, but the defense kind of struggles week in and week out?
0: I'd say for the most part. But if you look back to when the Chargers started struggling, especially against the Ravens, um, I know it was a close-ish game against the Patriots, but that one too. The Vikings, like, those were games where, the offense looked abysmal against these defensive-minded head coaches, right? And then same thing goes with the first Broncos game, right? John Harbaugh, Bill Belichick, um, Fangio, Zimmer. These guys somehow found a way to make the Chargers offense look absolutely horrific. But then you go, you know, they, you just saw what they did against the Broncos this past week. Uh, you saw them go against some other teams that have notable defenses, but at the same time, the offense is really good. But I will say for the most part, yes, you are correct. The defense, especially the run defense – has been well noted to be one of the worst in the NFL. And then as of late, the the most frustrating thing about the defense is that they were giving up on the season 51.1% of third downs to be converted against them. Now, this was, I think, prior to the Texans game, that stat was true. I'm not sure how it changed too much. I think it was better against the Broncos. But then you saw against the Texans, that offense, you know, they couldn't get them off the field. So probably one of the bigger things, if you can't get a stop on defense, you get good stops on first and second down, no matter what that third down looks like. There's a coin flip of you either getting off the field or not. That's bad.
1: Yeah. I mean, you don't have to tell us uh, us Raider fans about third down struggles. I think the Raiders are probably up there and on until last week and probably the last few weeks, actually, but uh, third downs on both sides of the ball have been a struggle. So we feel your pain. Well, obviously, we've got to talk about Justin Herbert, who I think is one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. But being so young means he's going to have his ups and downs and continue to develop and whatnot. Can you compare Justin Herbert from the beginning of the season, slash the last time these two teams played, to Justin Herbert now?
0: Yeah. So if I had to point to things that Justin Herbert looks much better at now than not in the beginning of the season, it's just honestly as a processor, as a processor of information, what he's seeing on the field. I thought through those first handful of games where the Chargers looked legit, looked like they were going to steamroll a lot of teams and probably end up with a better record than they have now. That offense was clicking, but it just seemed like Justin Herbert was consistently being pressured to make the big throws, right? Like first and second down efficiency were horrendous for the Chargers, but they were one of the best teams on third down converting on offense because Justin Herbert could always just make that throw. It was a Mm -hmm. lot of wow stuff. The run game was not going really well. And the defense, again, wasn't really supportive of Herbert. So Herbert was had all the pressure in the world on his shoulders to just be best player on the field, consistently get his team out of those things. But now the run game has looked a lot better. That offensive line, at least you know, in rushing, has looked well more put together, uh, just better communicated. Again, they just need to be getting the job done no matter what. That has allowed Herbert to be more – I'm not going to call him a game manager, but instead of throwing for 35 to 40-plus passes – He's kind of sitting between that 27 to 30, maybe a little bit over um, passes per game with the running attack going for I think, a little over 100 yards each game. So they're not like popping the stat sheet off or anything like that, mm-hmm. but they're doing what's necessary to have a balanced attack and then um, allowing Herbert to just be in more control and be more uh, of a – I'm not going to say check down again, game manager. Yeah, right. But like he just taking doesn't need to throw. Right, he just doesn't need to throw. 50-yard-plus uh, you know, throws down the field consistently for this offense to do something. It's been really great seeing him. A, he's awesome on these corner routes, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. And then you saw on the play where he set Philip Rivers' touchdown record, where he threw his 35th of the year, he hit Mike Williams on like a honey hole shot at the left sideline between the two defenders on cover two. right? You have the oh, corner, yeah. um, the flats, and the deep safety on that half. And for somehow we split both of them. And he was wide open for this catch. It was a phenomenal catch. He dove out for it. But just in general, I thought that was an awesome example of him kind of going through his progressions before seeing that and being able to mentally pull the trigger as fast as he needed to.
1: Gotcha. So drawing from the last game or even last season when he played the Raiders, what's one aspect about this matchup that you think Herbert will be able to take advantage of? And maybe that one thing that he might struggle with.
0: That's a good one. Um, so I'm not sure what the situation is on, on Nate Hobbs, I believe his name and the cornerback yeah. that got mm-hmm. charged for, I think, misdemeanor DUI or something like that. Right. Um, if he's out, but it seems like maybe in this game, that secondary might be a little shaky. Um, I know Hobbs, I believe, again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's had a pretty good year this yeah, year he as a rookie compared to a lot of other rookie cornerbacks. I think he's done it very well. Um, Casey Hayward, you know, a charger send off that's playing very mm-hmm. well as well. Um, I at the same time though, Jonathan Abram, I, I don't think he's a good cover safety. Right, he doesn't have some hard hits. Um, I think he he misses quite a few tackles as well. I should be more on top of this, so I apologize. But no, no um, I feel like that secondary isn't what it needs to be to really put a cap on on this on this passing attack. Um, I do think it can be a big day for uh Justin Herbert but that's it for Sean Slater and whoever ends up playing right tackle can stop kind of that that edge group you guys have in Yannick and Max Crosby who's also having a heck of a year um I just think that passing game is probably going to be where they try to lean on in this game and in terms of what I think could be a problem you know if if the Raiders go back and they look at how the Ravens the Patriots the Broncos the first time the Vikings how those teams threw a wrench into the plans of the Chargers offense, I think it's a good place to start. And what they did was really try to, like, turn up the pressure early on because it seemed like on the first drive, if you can get the Chargers to go three and out or at least have a very, like, abrupt first drive, I feel like that really throws them off because they themselves think that they're one of the best offenses, and they are in terms of, you know, passing the ball as well. And if you just, like, punch them in the mouth real quick, I think there's, like – a level of like, Oh my goodness, like this doesn't usually happen. And it puts them in a new place of like how we dig ourselves out of this. You know, it's a rough start. Yeah. There's a lot of game left, but you know, some guys just aren't mentally made that well. So I I think one of the best ways to do is throw a wrench into them by applying pressure early and often and uh, making them kind of feel like they're digging themselves out of a hole because they haven't been good at that in years past. And one year doesn't automatically solve an issue like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, you bring up the Raiders defense or the Raiders secondary specifically, and that's definitely like you said with Nate Hobbs, not sure what's going on with that situation. I would think he wouldn't play, especially with how um, the, the year has played out for the Raiders with all the off the field issues. Obviously, the Henry Rugg stuff, I think definitely is going to play a factor in uh, any sort of decision the organization makes um, as far as punishment with Hobbs. And I mean, you brought up Casey Hayward, the other guy on the other side as another former charger and Brandon facing. So yeah, you guys know, well, um, he's been picked on a little bit, played a little bit better in the last few games. And then uh, Jonathan Abram is actually, he's done for the year. He introduced shoulder, he had shoulder surgery a couple of weeks ago, so he won't be playing on Sunday, but uh, obviously even if he's not getting it done, I, the, there are other options are Roderick Teemer, another former charger uh, full of them with the, with the Gus Bradley connection. So not the greatest in coverage, so it's definitely something I, I am worried about. But the one thing I am curious about with Justin Herbert is how many big games has Herbert played in his young career, and how has he performed under the spotlight in those matchups?
0: Ooh, that's a good one. There's actually a really good stat um, that I saw on Justin Herbert playing in primetime games, and I wonder if I can find it real quick. But if I can't, um, basically the summation. Okay, here it is. So Justin Herbert has played in five career primetime games. All right, in those five games. He has combined to throw for over 1,400 yards, 1,418 uh, to be exact, 14 touchdowns, only two interceptions. He's completed 65% of his passes in those games. And he's also rushed for 132 yards and two other touchdowns. So primetime games have been huge for Justin Herbert. I mean, if you look back, even just his rookie season, the first Monday night football game he ever played in was against the Saints. It was that little battle with Drew Brees. And he had, I think, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. And he became one of the first player, not one of the first, but he joined like Mahomes, Breeze. I think Deshaun Watson was another one of players who threw for four touchdowns and zero interceptions in their first year or like first game of Monday Night Football. It was something crazy that only him and a couple other notable quarterbacks have done um, in, in their time. So I'll say this, man. It's almost a pretty bad thing for the Raiders to be playing Justin Herbert in prime time. This just seems to be an environment where he thrives. He just has, has such an even keeled mindset, even keeled personality. Um, the moment's never too big for him, and uh, hopefully, I like to see that continue again on Sunday.
1: Yeah, as as an Oregon fan, I'm happy to see Justin Herbert do his thing. But as a Raider fan, it's also it also scares me a little bit. Also, uh, makes me worry to see him tear it up, especially on prime time for. Hopefully not for years to come, but uh we'll see what happens. Maybe he'll come come uh or leave somewhere else when his rookie contract's up or anything, something like that. But let's move on to the wideouts. And both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are already thousand-yard receivers. I probably asked you this last time, but if so, remind us how those two complement each other on the field and what makes that combo so difficult to defend.
0: Yeah. So I think they're two fairly different wide receivers. Um Keenan Allen obviously is a separation slash slot receiver. He can line up anywhere, do damage anywhere, but for the most part, he's going to try to line up um, on a slot corner and make it look silly, work over the middle of the field. He has also been a big difference maker on uh, intermediate to deep routes in terms of like corners and stuff like that. Justin Herbert's been so good at that concept. Um, And Keenan Allen's caught a lot of those passes. And then Mike Williams this season Instead of just being the go-ball guy, the streak down the sideline, 50-50 catch person, um, he's been much more of a complete receiver in the, quote, Michael Thomas role of Joel Lombardi's offense, right? Michael Thomas is in how the Saints used him uh, over the mm-hmm. past couple of years. And that he's much more used in, like, the RPO game on slants where he can utilize his big body to kind of box out defenders. He's been really good this year at gaining some yards after the catch in terms of when he runs those slants, when he runs little curls over the middle, little hook routes. He's able to, to catch, and he's been good at sticking his foot in the ground and really driving upfield, and he's usually falling forward as well, which is great to see from your receiver who is you know, 6'4", 220 pounds, right? This is the type of, of player you want to see besides just being a guy to run down the sideline, right, and hope for a catch. So they've been great. Uh, Keenan's ability to draw double teams and just the attention of members in the secondary because you know he's going to be the guy on like third down or big downs. But the fact that he can draw attention really helps out Mike Williams, who, again, is still going to be used on deep post routes, nine routes, um, in terms of like those routes get open because guys underneath have their eyes somewhere else. And if Keenan Allen can be a guy who can draw eyes and attention away from safeties or anybody for Mike Williams to sneak behind a defender, one of those deep half safeties, then it's going to be a bad day for the opponent. So I just think those two are both extremely talented, and I'm just stoked that Um, they're together, at least for this year. Not sure what Williams is going to do after this year, but the fact that Lombardi was able to to figure out their pros and
1: cons and use them to the point where they are both thousand-yard receivers this season. Gotcha. Well, I think that's enough talk on Williams and Allen, since I'm sure everyone knows about those two at this point. Keenan Allen's been terrorizing the Raiders for years. Mike Williams has been doing it for the last four or five. But one guy that's emerged recently for the Bolts is Josh Palmer, a rookie third-round pick out of Tennessee. Can you tell us about what Palmer has brought to the offense and see someone that Raider fans should be worried about?
0: Yeah, Josh Palmer is awesome. I'll just tell you that straight up. Mm -hmm. Even in training camp before the season got here, right, he's in his first season, he looks like the next most well-rounded complete receiver on the roster aside from Keenan Allen. I'll tell you that right now. As good as Mike Williams is and everything that he does for this team, that's how good – Josh Palmer looked, and and this is just like running drills on air and stuff like that. But if you watch a lot of the footwork videos from training camp, ladder drills, Palmer is smooth, man. He is super smooth. And in the little to few opportunities he's gotten this season, he's also looked like he belongs. I think that's one of the the biggest things. I mean, his stash he could maybe look a little bit better compared to other rookie wide receivers. You know, Jamar Chase is in his own hemisphere, but he's got three touchdowns. He gets open when he needs to. He makes quite a few plays when given the opportunity, and you saw, you know, games where Keenan Allen sat out, games where Mike Williams sat out. Palmer usually comes in and is their leading receiver. I know the last game that he started where Mike Williams was out, he led the team with seven targets. He caught six of those and a touchdown. I mean, the guy, the moment also isn't too big for him, and I think the future is super bright because, again, Mike Williams is getting paid $15 this year. Um, It remains to be seen if he returns next year for the Chargers. If he doesn't, I think Josh Palmer is still a very good wide receiver to build with.
1: Gotcha. What tight end? Jared Cook is on the COVID list. Donald Parnum suffered that scary head injury a few weeks ago. So first of all, do you have any idea if Cook's going to play this weekend? And I'm pretty sure Parnum is on IR, but is he doing all right, Or Just kind of a status update for everybody since they believe that was a primetime game as well. Yeah, so uh, Cook, I
0: believe, is still on the COVID list. Um, Brandon Staley today, Um, he may... Uh, announced that cook is off. I know a couple days ago on Monday, he said that cook is expected to come off this list, but he had not um, as of Monday. Um, and then Donald Palm is completely I, not completely fine, but I mean, he's, he's healthy. He's alive. He is um, doing well. It only took about a day or so for him to be released from uh, UCLA Harbor Medical Center. And he put up, you know, Instagram posts, tweets saying how, how okay he is. You know, he's, he's hoping to make a comeback. He's hoping to be fine and, and play in, in the future. Um, I don't think there's a chance of him returning anytime soon. Um, And to be honest, we don't exactly know if he's going to continue his football career. I don't, I still don't know the exact uh, injury. You know, they said it called it a, a, I think it was just a head injury or neck injury. He was concussed. Um, Even me, like as a former personal trainer, I could not tell you what happened on that play. It just seemed like, He felt like a normal person diving you know, for a ball, but I think his head whipped. I think maybe he made contact with something that that we really couldn't see uh, on the television version. Um, But overall, I think he's fine. So those two expect Cook to probably come back and play in this game. Parham, he's fine. He's healthy. It's great news. But I don't think you'll see him the rest of the season.
1: Gotcha. Well, for a second, let's just assume that Cook isn't playing or you know who's gonna fill that kind of that number two tight end role if he is in the lineup or who's kind of the next guy up for the chargers at tight end
0: yeah so with cook potentially out or playing limited what have you he uh steven anderson is the guy to look forward to steven anderson is a former wide receiver cal guy right cal, cal berkeley yep. yeah he um uh Change to a tight end, but he's kind of like your move H-back tight end. He's about 6'3", I want to say 235 pounds. So, again, not the biggest thing. He's a good blocker when he's kind of out in space where he's flexed already at his position, um, and they can kind of use him there. Um, As a connected tight end, you're not going to see a whole lot of him. He may be in the backfield more as a fullback as well. Um, Look for rookie tight end Trey McKitty out of uh, Georgia um to, to to see an increase in snaps he caught a career high three passes this past week against the broncos um he only has six catches on the year but three of them gone for first downs he's been efficient in that fashion and he was drafted not so much as the next great receiving threat tight end type player for the chargers that's just not um why he was selected because he didn't do all that much receiving in college <laughs> um brandon staley when i asked about him about McKitty's development on Monday basically said, you know, we picked this guy because he's just built like an NFL tight end, like physically ready for it. And his job for the most part is going to be to block a lot of these like pro bowl, all pro edge defenders in the AFC West. Right. And of course he's going to face a couple of them in this game. So that's the biggest thing they believe he can be that type of player, that type of uh, um, difference maker in the run game. Um, So
1: expect to see him see quite a few snaps as well. Yeah, Traven Kitty was one of the guys I was a I was a big fan of during the draft uh, process too as a mid round guy. And I remember going to the Senior Bowl last year, and he measured in with the biggest hands at like eleven inches or something crazy. He Just got had like basically had a catcher two catchers mitts attached to to the end of his wrist back there. But yeah, he's always had this interesting career where like he goes to Florida State wasn't really producing. Thought maybe it had to do with the do with the the program, in the state of there uh, over at Florida State. Then goes to Georgia kind of gets behind a log jam of a couple other guys in the same thing, but feels like he's always kind of been that potential guy, but you're right. I mean, like Brandon Staley said, the body, the frameworks there, always been a good blocker and uh, definitely has some potential as a receiver. So I'm interested to see how much he can, uh, he can play a role on Sunday and in the future. So at running back, it does feel, it feels like throughout his career, Austin Eckler has kind of been, or always had another back to kind of carry some of the load but it seems like he's been the main and almost only guy for the Chargers this season. Has he taken on a bigger role and what does that role look like this year?
0: Yeah. So Eckler has been essentially the Alvin Kamara of, of this offense, right? He is their leading rusher, but he's also one of their leading receivers and he's also uh, leads them in total touchdowns. I believe he has 18 on the season. Now just had his 11th uh, rushing touchdown, which for one of the best receiving backs in the NFL, that's awesome. It actually breaks, um, the career high of Melvin Gordon when he was with the chargers, you know, a handful of years ago, he had 10 in a season echoes 11th breaks that. And then he's also got seven receiving touchdowns. So he's been the do it all back for the chargers in every way. He's been as productive as he's ever been in this career. I'm not sure he's going to hit the thousand yard rushing um, mark, but Alvin Kamara, honestly, I don't think ever has hit that as well, but well on his way to, you know, 1500 plus total yards of offense, which is again, at the end of the day, what you want um, that number to be high and again doing everything justin jackson's been much better as an RNRB 2 playing a complementary role to eckler um that's really come up the last few weeks when jackson got the opportunity to start against a couple teams the chiefs the texans um he had big games and then against the broncos when eckler needed to spell jackson came in and honestly looked just better right in that role like there was no skip in the charters offense they were able to keep going so both those guys have been great but Man, it's tough to ever you know think about trading Eckler for anybody. He's been phenomenal. Definitely,
1: yeah. You you kind of, uh, I think you kind of already hinted at or answered my next question a little bit, but I did notice like Justin Jackson, like you'd said, been getting a little bit more playing time. So I was curious if you see him playing a factor in this game at all. Jackson, uh, I mean, he'll play a
0: factor in that. He's going to see snaps because they've they've been really cautious this whole season about not running Eckler under the ground because it is, you know, a season with one more extra regular season game. Uh, they have hopes and plans to hopefully make the playoffs. And then the season's extended even more. So they've needed somebody to step up and Jackson's really done that. So will he play a big role? Not exactly, but I can't underestimate or you don't want to underestimate the role of a backup running back to come in and make something happen because those things can be drive killers, right? Bringing in a back with cold legs, or, um, you know, who just doesn't have the hot hand, right? You kind of kill some momentum. And if they, like, come out and have a negative play, you know, they have a play that only gains a yard or two, I think it can be a drive killer. So his role essentially is
1: just going to be keep the momentum going that the offense has. Moving on to the offensive line, at tackle, it kind of seems like Rashawn Slater's kind of been the bookend over on the left side, and it's always kind of been viewed as, like, as Storm Norton on the right is kind of the weak spot, the guy that you want to attack. I'm curious, is that still the case with, with, the, with those two? Is Storm Norton still kind of the weak spot of that offensive line?
0: You know, I'd say so, but I don't think it's as glaring as it once was. Storm yeah. and Michael Schofield, who's the backup right guard, who's been, who's been forced to start there for most of the season. They've actually been playing a lot better. And I'll tell you what, against the Texans, and take them with a grain of salt or what have you, but with the pro football focus grades, I like using them as a baseline. And Mm -hmm. Storm Norton and Michael Schofield were two of the top five highest graded offensive players by the Chargers in that game. And I think that says something, right? Like those guys consistently have been grading out fairly well. They don't need to be seventies, eighties. And for context, a 60 even is an average grade for an NFL player by pro football focus. So them getting into the, into the sixties, maybe even in the seventies consistently is a huge win for this offensive line. And as opposed to, again, those games where they were abused Ravens Patriots, um, they've been much better and they haven't just been as glaring of an issue as they were in the past.
1: Gotcha. We well, bring up Michael Schofield and I did want to ask you about him and the other, uh, the other veteran on the offensive line and Corey Lindsley, um, obviously he plays center. So can you kind of just tell us what those, what those two add to the offensive line and are they still the the stalwarts that they've been in the past?
0: Yeah. So Corey Lindley, Lindsley, excuse me, um, has been just his same old, same old. I mean, he was a 2020 First team all pro at center. Uh, He's come in and been just that. I don't think he's been the best center in the NFL this season. Definitely top five, man. He's been huge for the run game uh, without him against the Broncos. The Chargers only got to, I think, 103 yards total rushing. They only averaged three yards even on the ground. And the Broncos have been one of the worst rushing defenses as well in the NFL. So I think Scott Questenberry did a good job of backup center. But for the most part, Lindsley is a huge deal as to why Eckler has seen a lot of success running between the tackles uh, this season. And then Schofield, uh, he's been he's been fine. It's uh, kind of along the same lines of Storm Norton was rough to begin the season. You know, he, he's been with the team, but this is a new coaching staff. It's a new scheme. Um, so it took him a little bit. But the same way Norton's improved over the last you know, this half of the season, I believe Schofield's done the same thing it, in terms of they don't need to be. All pros themselves are playing like it. It's just don't screw up. Don't cost Mm -hmm. the team yards and penalties and just minimize any chance you have of like killing again, the momentum of the team or stopping them from scoring points or anything like that. Like that's just been the biggest thing. And I think they both have done a fantastic job of of not doing anything like that.
1: Awesome. Well, let's shift gears to the Chargers defense. And before we get into specific players, you just hinted at this, but I want to talk about the defense as a whole and their run defense specifically. The Chargers have given up 136.7 rushing yards per game, which ranks 30th in the NFL, and it's been an issue all season. I can even remember the last time we were talking. I think uh, this was something that I thought the Raiders might have been able to take advantage of, but they didn't end up doing. uh, They didn't end up being able to do that this week or last time they played. So my question is, how have teams been able to attack Los Angeles on the ground, and is there a particular type of run that has uh, given them trouble in the past?
0: Yeah, I think what has been giving them trouble is just some of the guys in the system are not true and tried run blockers. Uh, I think someone like Jerry Tillery, the team's first round pick in 2019 has struggled mightily against the run. He's a six, seven, you know, he's still 300 plus almost 310 pounds, but he's just not a run stopper. Of course he, you know, his height is already his worst enemy because his leverage is out of whack, right? You're going to have a lot of shorter guys, uh, lower centers of gravity, um, who are able to get up and under him and move him. That's tough. For a guy like him, he's going to have to work extra hard to make that happen. So he has been a, a weak spot. Uh, there are some games, and, and I think Linval Joseph, even though he's quite older than you know, you want him to be at that position, he's still done very well. But there are some games where he just has bad games. It's, it's unfortunate, but occasionally you know he's due for kind of a little bit of a dud. But for the most part, he's been solid. Justin Jones has been a real game changer in, in the run game. He was, did not play against the Texans. And we all saw, you know, how much Rex Burke had pretty much doubled his season total in rushing yards in one game, right? And then he, and Justin Jones comes back against the Broncos this past Sunday, and we hold the Broncos to under 100 yards. Um, I think just like 3.7 yards per carry, again, like, he's a game changer. Um, and then I'll tell you what, it's a new defensive system. This is a, a, a 3-4 instead of a 4-3 like they had been in for quite some time. So all of a sudden guys like Chinon Wosu are asked to set an edge a little bit differently compared to the way he did it in the, the previous front. Same with Bosa. He's still doing a heck of a job, but you took a guy who always has his hand in the dirt to now you're in a, one, a two point stance, which one, you don't have as much like lock and load potential mm-hmm. as you normally do. You don't have much of a get off. You're not able to uh, supply as much of a punch at the point of attack because you're not you know loaded and ready to go to shoot out of your stance. Um, it's just different. But he he's also kind ha- of kind of had some growing pains, but he's gotten better um, as well. So I don't think the defense is nearly as bad as it was to begin the year when they were the least worst uh, um, rushing attack. They've slowly gone from like 160 yards per game to down to like what you said, 136. Um, recently, so it's an improvement. It's not the greatest, so. but it's also still an improvement in terms of runs that I think have given them fits. I think doing any type of wham or trap plays where um, you can get like, again, a guy like Jerry Tillery to um, penetrate upfield and um, get cracked, you know, in the ear hole by one of your pulling guards or your fullback or tight end coming across the formation. I I love plays like that. And I think um, that has been a big one for the chargers as well. If you can just like cause havoc kind of in the middle and make those interior guys have to like hesitate Look left and right to make sure they're not about to get year pulled, Right, I think you know really plays to the the offense's uh, advantage. And again, a guy like Josh Jacobs, who I think is is one of the best one step north and south runners in the NFL right now, coming out of Bama, he was phenomenal. Uh, I think that'd be an easy way for you to uh, take advantage of that Chargers front and uh, hopefully rush for a lot of yards.
1: Gotcha we well, moving on to specific players and specifically the defensive line. And I think you kind of touched on the two guys that are the two defensive tackles that I really want to talk about, Jerry Tillery and Limbaugh Joseph. So I'm more concerned about the edge rushers. And honestly, all the Raider fans, we all we all know about Joey Bosa. He's terrorized the team for years, just like Keenan Allen. So I think we're good on that end. But the guy I think that has been an issue or kind of been a, a riser this year that uh, that Raider fans might not know about and I'm gonna butcher his name. I know you said it, but is it Uchenna Nuosu? Is that how you say? It? Yes, that's actually perfect. Uchenna Nuosu, yeah. Uchenna yes. Nuosu. Better, I'm than glad than I a
0: lot of people. Yeah, it's better than <laughs> I, the actual announcer saying, you know, when the game's on. Um, but Nuosu has been phenomenal. He was actually one of the first uh, Chargers players I ever got the chance to to interview when I started, obviously covering the Chargers. So I, I'm a fan of the guys, anyway. But he's shown the ability to put on a little bit more weight to kind of sustain that edge because he came out of Penn State – or not Penn State, excuse me, USC. They played him in a bowl game his senior year. He came out of USC, and I thought he was just a little undersized. He was like that Leo role in um, Gus Bradley's defense, the same thing as Melvin Ingram. But Melvin Ingram was like 260-plus before he kind of shrunk down to about 245 and still sustained some of that strength. So for Nuosu it's kind of be around 240, 245, never having been bigger than that. I thought he needed to put on some weight. And to be honest, it really looks like he has. He just looks a lot more filled out. He seemed bottom-heavy before – Now what he's shown is just more nuanced to the position, right? Like the same with offensive line, they're they're positions that it's not just you stop the guy in front of you or you get past the guy in front of you some way, somehow, right? There's setup, there's strategy, there's understanding your opponent in front of you and understanding their nuances as well, how you can exploit their shortcomings and stuff like that. So for Nuosu, I think he's done a good job of marrying some speed to power moves. He's got a really good uh, chop spin that I really like. um, And he's, He's got enough of a get-off to get around the corner, um, to round the edge, which I think has been fantastic. Um, I kind of look back to the, his rookie season when he stripped Lamar Jackson in the playoffs back in 2018, kind of a similar thing. I, I just think he's gotten better at all those things that he's flashed with. Um, and most recently, I don't have it in front of me, but ESPN just put up um, the chart for pass rush win weight when rate, excuse me, by um, <laughs> double team rate. And in the top right, obviously, is where you want to be in this graph. Both Bosa and Chen are, are there. Max Crosby is a little higher than both those guys, so be happy about that. But <laughs> Nwosi right up there around Bosa in terms of success rate and just double team rate. So it, it's, I think that's just fantastic to see that uh, there's another bookend because you got rid of Melvin Ingram and you needed someone to step up and kind of be that bookend for Bosa. And I think Nwosi done just that.
1: Gotcha. Well, I tell you what, I don't like to hear that, but I'm happy for you, Michael. So <laughs> at Wonderful. linebacker, I, I believe the last time we talked, you mentioned Drew Tranquil might be in line for some more playing time. And he ended up starting against the Raiders and really played well. And he's been in the starting rotation ever since. So what does Tranquil add to the Chargers defense that uh, has been missing from their linebacker corpse? And has he kind of replaced Kenneth Murray in that role?
0: Yeah. So Kenneth Murray,
1: honestly, and
0: this is, it's a bummer. To, to kind of like realize, but Kenneth Murray, at least as of right now, he's a bust. And I don't like to use that word ever because I just think some players need time. I think, you know, as Brandon Staley likes to say, it's a developmental league that some players just take time. But again, this is a player that the Chargers traded up for back into the first round to grab after they grabbed Justin Herbert earlier. And I've been a big fan of Kenneth Murray. I was a big fan of his at Oklahoma. I liked his play style. I liked, Um, his aggressiveness, all those things. And I thought getting a guy like that in the middle of the Chargers defense would be awesome. Um, It just unfortunately hasn't panned out. I mean, to the degree that they basically do not have him playing middle linebacker anymore. Kenneth Murray essentially is a full-time transitioned edge player. Um, So, I mean, in the same way that the Cowboys are using Micah Parsons, but he's no Micah Parsons, unfortunately. Um, Even as a middle linebacker, Murray struggled with uh, getting on and off or getting off blocks, right? He couldn't sift through traffic. If an offensive lineman got his hands on him, he's essentially done for. And you saw the same thing when he played edge uh, pretty much the entire game against the Texans, right? Like he, he couldn't shed blocks. He couldn't make tackles at all. It was just very unfortunate. Um, So now he's an edge player. They just, he's too detrimental at the middle linebacker position. So yes, Drew Tranquil has, um, replaced him as the other starting linebacker next to Kaiser White. And this past Sunday, against the Broncos, when uh, Drew was not playing. Nick Neiman, a rookie out of Iowa, who's also very athletic, got the start. And then Amen Agbom-Bamiga, uh, is the other guy who saw snaps there as well? He was an undrafted free agent out of Oklahoma State this past year, was a second team all Big 12 selection. I think he's got a lot of special teams talent and potential to be a guy in that rotation. Um, but yeah, Murray is is out as a middle linebacker, and Frankel should be one of the starting linebackers for PR now.
1: Well, hey, you don't have to tell Raider fans about first round busts. We know those well, unfortunately. So. <laughs> Shifting the gears to the defensive backfields, we're almost uh, we're almost done with Asante Samuel's uh, rookie year. Hopefully, he's only got one more game left. So what are your thoughts on him so far? Because just by judging from the numbers and from afar, it does seem like he's kind of been up and down this season, which you kind of expect with a rookie corner.
0: Yeah, um, I think he's been good, um, as good as we maybe have wanted him to be. I, I would say not okay. so much. His first handful of games, he was a back-to-back like Pepsi Rookie of the Week, and I'm not saying that means all much because it's fan voted, yeah. but he was good <laughs> enough to, to be up for it. And you know, he did have right. two picks early in the year. But funny enough, Brandon Staley said the pick he had against the Chiefs that Samuel was out of position, and he said if he did what he was supposed to do, he wouldn't have got that pick, like he wouldn't <laughs> have been in to do it. So I thought that was really funny. But guys, just make plays. Some guys are just playmakers, and I, that's who I think Asante Samuel is. Now, when it comes to players like him you have to live with the bad when you live with the good, if you want the good at at all. So he has quite a few defensive pass interference uh, calls like down the field that have cost the team quite a bit of yards. And so that's tough. I I think it's frustrating. Of course, I don't think the penalty should be a thing in the first place, 45 yards on a penalty, just like that. You know, that's up for scrutiny depending on who the ref is at the time it's rough, but that's not the point. I, I think he's been good. I think he's been a good tackler. He's, he's had two concussions though this season and since he's returned, I don't think he looks as just sure of himself as he as he did beforehand. I think you know anyone who, who sustains two concussions right. to go back out there and play at one hundred percent is just asking too much. I think he's going to be just fine, but at the end of the day, I don't even know if he should have returned this year because that stuff's scary. Joey Bosa had a bunch of inter- or had two concussions last year, and they kind of shut him down early as well. But if he's fine, he's fine but he just doesn't look the same. I think he'll be great. It's just give him the off season and hopefully he's a much more complete player next year.
1: Gotcha. Moving to the inside one, one one-on-one matchup that I'm really looking forward to keeping tabs on is going to be Hunter Renfro versus Chris Harris, Jr. Down in the slot. Uh, Harris Jr. Was out last time. So you spared of the wrath of Renfro. Uh, But how do you see this matchup playing out on Sunday?
0: Uh, I don't know if this is a surprise or not, but I think Renfro is going to eat Chris Harris alive. Oh, okay. Uh, I am so impressed by Renfro and what he's done this season. But I mean, honestly, Chris Harris has been good in that he's not like. Causing much penalties, he's not allowing long touchdowns or anything like that, but he does not look anything like the Chris Harris, like he did with the Broncos. I love the guy. Fantastic person but he, he makes a lot of business decisions. There are times where he doesn't give that great of effort on, on tackles and he's, he gets cooked quite a bit in coverage. Now I'll be totally honest. And I've seen what Renfro can do. And he, Chris Harris has never been a spectacular athlete. He's one with like grit and and work ethic. And um, despite being, you know, kind of an an above average or even below that uh, athlete. And Renfro is one of the best start stop receivers I've seen in the NFL this season. And I just don't think Chris Harris is anywhere near the type of player that he needs to be to, let's just say, stick with Renfro. I think if he runs any of those like triple cut routes that he's been known for this season, right. Just kind of like schoolyard (laughs) stuff you draw up. um, I think it's an easy touchdown. I'll be totally honest. It's, it's been a little frustrating to watch because you thought he was going to be a huge addition, and you just thought maybe his last year in Denver was just a down year, right? He is older, but the numbers are honestly not good for any corner once they get over thirty years of age. Their production, their efficiency, all those things uh, plummet, and unfortunately, I,
1: we've been seeing that with Chris Harris as of late. Well, I'll tell you what, that sounds like a pretty good note to end on. Looks like we could be in for a big day for Hunter Renfro, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm sure everyone else listening is going to be too, but. Michael, thanks again for coming on. One more time, where can people find you on social media?
0: Yeah, again, you can find me on Twitter at Zone Tracks. That's spelled Z-O-N-E-T-R-A-C-K-S. All my work's over at BoltsFromTheBlue.com. That is SB Nation's uh, in Los Angeles Chargers community. Um, I know, again, people from different communities like Silver and Black Pride may not want to come over to Bullets from the Blue, but <laughs> I, I don't think it's a bad idea. Maybe, like, let's yeah. just keep the trash talk to, you know, f- nice and friendly stuff, but <laughs> it's never a bad thing to kind of cross like that. So, uh, appreciate it, man. This was a ton of fun. Um, again, guys, follow me if you'd like. You want to come see how the other half lives, go
1: ahead. <laughs> but, again, this has been fun. Awesome. Thanks again, Michael. You guys know where to follow me, Adam Holder 95 on Twitter. Make sure you're following Sw- Silver and Black Pride. Great review, subscribe, download all that good stuff, help us grow. Other than that, until next time,
0: you guys.